This morning we are back in Acts chapter 9. Uh, we are picking up where we left off with really one of the least likely people to become a believer. I love Acts chapter 9. It becomes to me one of the more important chapters in the book of Acts and really in church history. As we saw last week, there's this guy by the name of Saul uh, who left Jerusalem. Someone give me a description of how Saul left Jerusalem. Y'all remember from last week? He was strutting. Why was he strutting? Y'all remember? Because he was about to wreck shop on the church. I mean, he had already inflicted massive amounts of harm to the church in Jerusalem. And he was heading to Damascus, heading north about 150 miles, so that he could continue his, his persecution and his attack of the, the spread of Christianity. And what we see in that passage is, is really something that we lose sight of at times. But Jesus has the capacity and the power. Jesus has the capacity and the power to flip someone's script so radically that they can go from being an antagonist or a persecutor to being a preacher of the faith. And it reminds us that God can get a hold of the least likelies. As, as we thought about it last week, who is the least likely in your life? People that you know, family members, friends, people that you work with. You look at the, their life and you think, there's no way, right? There's no way that particular person's going to come to the faith. There's no way. Their, their life maybe is so inconsistent with what you view to be the Christian life that you think there's no way that person is coming to the faith. Or maybe they're, they're uh, an agnostic or an atheist and you think there's no way. Maybe a person's just chasing money their whole life and you're thinking there's no way God can get a hold of them. Well, I hope Acts chapter 9 builds your holy expectation that God can and will get a hold of people's lives. But for us to see the dramatic change, I want to reorient our minds to the text from last week. So look at verses 1 and 2. This gives us a very good description of how Saul left Jerusalem. It says, but Saul, uh, that's a contrasting conjunction that is there to contrast what we see in chapter 8. Philip was a great proclaimer of the faith. He was a spreader of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In contrast, you have Saul who is trying to destroy the church. And so chapter 8 and 9 creates a contrast, but Saul still breathing out threats and murder like a, a ravenous wolf uh, against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest specifically to seek authority. He asked for letters from for the letters at uh, the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, whether men or women, young or old, he could carry them off uh, in chains and take them bound to Jerusalem. And as I think of this, you got to imagine, he's rolling with an entourage, okay? So he's not by himself. So he's got a group of people with him. They've probably got chains. They're talking about all the raids that they had undertaken in Jerusalem. They're slapping high fives. They're excited. Oh, can't wait till we get to Damascus so that we can do the same thing that we just did in Jerusalem. And as I, I look at this, I think, wow, that's how he left Jerusalem? But he entered Damascus blind, being led by the hand and humbled. And the question that I have for us, what happened? Something dramatic happened. What happened to Saul on his way to Damascus, class? Someone doesn't want to answer incorrectly. Everyone's just like... A divine intervention, right. There was a divine intervention on his, his journey into Damascus. In fact, we see that in verses 3 through 6. It says this, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This was not just the sun. It was brighter than the sun. It's just the presence of God. So there's this physical appearance of God's presence in that and blinding light, but also audibly. Verse 4, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, 
Saul, a very specific call. Why are you persecuting me? And in that you see the intimacy of suffering that Jesus shares with his saints. That when his saints are being persecuted and his saints are suffering, that Jesus himself is suffering. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? I love Saul's response. Who are you, Lord? God, is that you? And this is the time where Saul meets Jesus face to face. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Can you only imagine what was going through Saul's mind, realizing that he was undertaking a mission. He was absolutely convinced he was in the right, coming to discover he was entirely wrong. What do you think was going through his head in Damascus as he was blind for three days? Oh no, I can't believe I've lived my life like this. I have literally set out my life to destroy something, and I'm really tearing down my Messiah. I'm antagonizing my Lord. He was convinced of his own rightness. He had never been so wrong in all his life. I'm going to go ahead and insert a statement here. Some of us are so convinced of our rightness right now in this generation, this culture, and I'm going to say politically, that one day I think you're going to look back and you're going to realize how wrong you were. I want you to understand that Jesus steps on conservative and liberal toes. Republican and Democratic. I, I want you, Democrat toes, I want you all to be very careful with the things that you're saying politically and believing that God is on your side. Because I think there's going to be a time in your life where you're going to look back and you're going to realize that Jesus wasn't on your side and you're fighting your own fight. There are times that things need to be said and we do need to stand up for the marginalized. We do need to stand up for those who do not have a voice, but we need to be very careful with what we do when we associate Jesus with politics. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Okay. Some of you are like, wow, got all political here all of a sudden. Well, we got to talk about this stuff, right? Okay, so Saul for three days is in darkness. And, and what I think happens to Saul, and I, I pray this happens in every one of our lives, he comes to a place where he recognizes and testifies how wrong he was. And I love that. I mean, he, he was wrong in his view of God. He was wrong in his view of Jesus. He was wrong in view of his own life. And I pray that that happens to all of us. Because you may be sitting here today, and you may be thinking to yourself, this whole Jesus thing is a sham. And you may be thinking that the, the church is, is just a scam, and maybe the existence of God is questionable. And maybe you don't even think God exists. And that's where you're at right now. And I can heavily relate to that. Because that's where I was. There was a time in my life where I was like, what are Christians doing on a Sunday morning? Don't you know Sunday mornings when you recover from Saturday night? Some of you have no idea what I'm referring to. That's good. <laughs> I was like, what, was, what, what is this purpose? Why do you get together? You worship this Jesus? Sounds like such a crutch. You know, in my life, there was such a, a distinct difference between what I viewed to be Christianity and what real Christianity was in following Jesus. And then there was a day, and I think that day happened to Saul at this moment, where he went, gosh, his light shines so bright. How come it took so long to start praising him? And so to that end, I'm going to share a personal testimony uh, through a song. You all okay with that? You all ready to clap your hands a little bit? Braden, why don't you come on up here? Okay, so recognize this might not be your style of music, but I believe the message is your style of Jesus. All right, so let's, let's jam. Okay, so the whole purpose of the song is his light shines so bright, how come it took so long to start praising? Your light shines so bright, how come it took so long to stop praising? 
your light shines so bright. I've come took so long to stop praising. Your light shines so bright. I've come took so long to stop praising you. It took so long to stop praising. And your light shines from the darkness and I couldn't see because of my head. And I was searching for a place to rest my soul. And all I found was that emptiness and sorrow. Walk a merry talk with Jane. Let them 40 ounces and go coursing up through my veins. And as I stood with a marble and a joke, I realized life of living just going for broke here. Yeah. But your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising you. It took so long to stop praising. Then one day I stood in front of a church and realized that my life needed to make a turn from things that I held so close. Like raging parties, alcohol, sitting, smoking dope. Had to walk to a new beach, a new street. I'm walking hand in hand with my new king. Now, 16 years I've been saved. I got a wife, five kids, I've been safe in the grave, yeah. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising you. It took so long to stop praising you. It took so long to stop praising. Now, dear Heavenly Father, I still would look at the sky. I send my prayers heavenwards and I wait patiently for a reply. A life is a quest that's completed when you die. Eternity in heaven or a place where you die. Yo, it's all your decisions. Strike the life of the love of the Lord. You can be extremely rich yet eternally poor. Salvation ain't something that's all bought down in no store. So you can be living for this life or you can be living for the Lord. Yeah. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising. Your light shines so bright. I come took so long to stop praising you. It took so long to stop praising you. It took so long to stop praising you. That may or may not have been going through Saul's mind. <laughs> but I think it goes through all of our minds. And by the way, if you have any type of gift, whatever it is, use it. Okay, if there's any type of way that you can convey the gospel in such a way that people will listen, use that gift. For some of you, rap music, you're going to listen to that and you're going to be like, oh, that, oh, that's the... rap is equal to whatever you want to finish that statement with. But you've got to realize it's the language Franco. That is the language that people are speaking today. And God uses that. So use whatever you have, whatever God has done in your life to reach others with the gospel. Amen? All right, so back to Saul. So he's in darkness, and he's coming to this place of like, gosh, how did I miss it? And then the scales fall from his eyes because Ananias is praying over him. He is welcomed among the disciples. What does Saul immediately start doing? He immediately starts proclaiming Jesus. There is something that happens in a new believer's life where they immediately are so overwhelmed by what God has done for them that they want others to know. Verse 19, end of verse 19, into verse 20, it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. That's significant. They welcomed him in, this tyrant, 
welcomed him in among the, uh, the disciples, I believe heavily because of Ananias, verse 20, and immediately, immediately, right after giving his life, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. What do you think that did to those who were gathered in the synagogue at Damascus? As this tyrant who would come to like bring havoc to Damascus is now standing up and going, Jesus is the way. Well, it was confounding. Look at verse 21. It says, and all who heard him were amazed, that is, they were beside themselves. And they said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? I love that word havoc. It basically means someone who like ravages or destroys. He tore down the Christian fellowship. We looked at that word last week, ravaging. That literally like a wild boar tearing up an orchard or a vineyard. That's how Saul was pictured in Jerusalem. And then has he not come here for this purpose also? And there were Jews that were celebrating the arrival of Saul that could not wait for the same type of persecution to be unleashed on Damascus, on the people of the way. And then all of a sudden, here's this guy and he's preaching Jesus. It cooks their noodles, okay? They can't wrap their mind around it. It's disturbing to them. Their equilibrium is thrown off because here's a guy who was supposed to be and tearing down the church, antagonizing the church, and now he's preaching Jesus. It didn't make sense. And I'll tell you right now, when Jesus flips someone's script, it doesn't make sense. It's so miraculous, and it is so profound. Look at verse 22. It says, But Saul increased all the more in strength. Okay, that does not mean he went down to 24-hour fitness Damascus and get a, got a membership. Okay, he wasn't like pumping iron. And this brings up an interesting point. As I look at our culture, do you notice that the faster the, the health movement and the more health clubs are born, the more churches are dying? Do you find any significance to that? Like as we're prioritizing our physical life, we're like totally ignoring our spiritual life. And we can so do that as believers. We spend all our time doing bicep curls and bench press and all worried about our diet and our exercise and all that. Paul says that physical, taking care of the physical body is good, but how much more the spiritual, how much more, be how much more profoundly better is that for us? We need to be building up our spiritual life. We need to do biblical curls. We need to be eating the word and growing. Well, that's what Saul is doing. He, all the more he increased in strength. And as he increased in strength, so was he able to prove and teach Jesus. He confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus. Saul was literally a biblical powerhouse before he became a believer. Then as he became a believer, he realized all these passages of the Old Testament it spoke of Jesus, and he started laying the Holy Scriptures up against the life of Christ, and he's like, Jesus is truly the Messiah. He truly is the Savior of the world. Family, we're not reading into the Old Testament Jesus. Jesus is taught from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Proto-Evangelum, all the way through Malachi, is this expectation and this anticipation of one who was to come, and Saul proclaims, his name is Jesus. I can't imagine what that must have been like for Saul to have that Bible study in his own life, to be going through the scroll of Isaiah and to come across Isaiah 53 and go, oh my gosh, Jesus is the suffering servant. And all the more that Saul preached Jesus and all the more that he was strengthened in his faith, all the more the people and the Jews at Damascus became angry. Here's the deal. If somebody cannot refute your message, guarantee they're going to tear down the messenger. If somebody cannot refute the message, they will tear down the messenger every time. And that's exactly what we see in verse 23. It says, when many days had passed, that's a little note for us to understand. We are not sure how long Saul was at Damascus. 
There's some conjecture about his early days after becoming a believer, but he'd been in Damascus for quite some time. It says the Jews plotted to do what? It's time for him to die. His message was so contrary to their understanding of God. His, his preaching was, was messing up their own hierarchy, their own authority. He was, they were ready to put, him to put him to death. Verse 24, it says, but their plot became known to Saul. And this kind of reads like an action-adventure novel. I mean, there's, like, there's, there's conspiracy, and there's plot, and you, you've got these people who are trying to kill Saul. They're in this walled city called Damascus. In fact, it says they were watching the gates day and night. So there's watchers at the gates. And just so you understand, Damascus, it's not like our contemporary city. I mean, it was walled all the way around. Okay, and there was one entrance in, and there was one entrance out, and so they were waiting to see Saul come out so they could cut him down. And then Saul catch, catches wind of this. I love this. It says, verse, 20, or verse 24, it says, And Saul uh, became known, uh, be, uh, the, their plot became known to Saul. And so in verse 25, his disciples took him by night. Doesn't, it's just like this little mission that they're on. Takes him by night, and they, they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Uh, one commentator said that Saul was the first basket case. Uh, <laughs> went over better in first service. Uh, okay. Uh, and maybe they were just giving me the, the, uh, the polite laugh. <laughs> That's funny, Pastor. That's a, thank you. So they lowered him in a basket. Well, this is interesting. So Paul apparently, or Saul had disciples at this point. These are people that he's been teaching. And I look at that, and I'm like, well, this is significant because Saul is being discipled, but he also had people he was discipling. Family, that needs to be true in our own life. Like, as we grow in the Lord, we need to be discipled, and we need to be discipling others where we're pouring in. And so some of his disciples take him by night, and apparently some, one of them had an apartment there in the wall. It was very common for houses to be located and situated in the wall of a city, and they open up the window, and they lowered him down, and he escapes into the darkness of night. And my question for you is, where would you go if you had people chasing you, wanting to put you to death? How many of you would probably go into hiding at this point? I'm raising my hand. Okay, some of you are like, no, I wouldn't go into hiding. I just, uh. I'd go into hiding. I'd be like, hey, hun, we're moving. Um, Saul doesn't do that. He heads directly to the epicenter, epicenter of Jewish faith. He heads right for Jerusalem, which is a death sentence. And as I think about this, I think of chapter 9 as being this, this massive contrast of what happens through divine appointment. In divine intervention. Saul leaves Jerusalem, breathing out threats and murder, enters into Damascus, humbled, being led by the hand, preaches boldly in Damascus, gets lowered down, sneaks off into the night, and heads back into Jerusalem to preach Jesus, all in one chapter. It's powerful stuff. Look at look what it says in verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, so he makes his way 150 miles to the south to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. I love this. And they were terrified or afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So just imagine him walking in and seeing a group of disciples like, hey guys, I love Jesus now. And they're like, oh my God, it's Saul. <laughs> what did, he, did he say something about Jesus? Did, you, did he say he loves Jesus? I must have misheard that. And, and I, I, would, I would have run from him too. 
I mean, this is a tyrant. This is a guy that was literally enslaving, like, not enslaving, but putting people in chains and putting them in prison and killing Christians. This is not the guy you're hanging out with. He's a tyrant. It's not the guy you welcome into the fellowship. No one would believe that he's really a Christian now. And I think the reason was because he was a destroyer of the faith. But I think this reality is experienced in all of our lives when that person, whoever that person is, becomes a believer. When you look at that person who, that guy or gal who is a party animal, and then they come up to you and they go, I love Jesus now. And you're like, I don't believe you. Or that person who, you know, they're just always getting under your skin and they're constantly picking at you for being a believer. Oh, you need a crutch. You're just such a blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden they come to you and they go, I believe in Jesus now. And you're thinking, yeah, right. Is that even possible? And I want to tell, family, we got to start, we got to stop looking at life through just our, 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 our common brain, our, our, our flesh, our, uh, just the, the common experience of life. We need to start looking at things spiritually and recognizing that Jesus does have the power to radically alter people's lives. And we, we need to welcome people in with that type of, of perspective into our fellowship, regardless of how a person has lived their life or is even currently living their life. We need to be welcoming people. We need to make it so easy for people to walk into the fellowship that they don't have to work very hard, because it's hard enough to come to a church, isn't it, in our culture? We need to not set up barricades and keep people at a distance. We need to welcome people in. And I say that. I mean, at the same time, I, I do need to have this little, insert this little caveat. If Saul had been there, like, on a clandestine mission to impact the church negatively, you better believe that the apostles would have stepped in and intervened. And, and we, at the same, same place, have to do the same thing. If somebody comes in here to harm somebody, or somebody comes in here to Im impede someone else's ability to grow in the faith, we need to intervene. We need to get involved in that. But outside of that, every single person who wants to be among our fellowship should be not only welcome here, but brought into the fellowship and brought in into the innerness of our fellowship. We are not God's gatekeepers. I sometimes, I don't get what, what's wrong with churches when they're like, oh, we're about everybody coming here. And then they stand at the door and they're like, but not dressed like that. And I'm like, I don't, wear your pajamas here. I don't really care. Come. I don't care what a person's wearing or... I don't care what they... Politically or relationally. I'm, I'm like, just, just come. Come in these doors. There's no one here who's the standard setter, by the way. Other than who? Jesus. And for some oddball reason, he welcomes us into his fellowship. I, I still can't figure it out. So we need to welcome all people in these doors. And I love how we see Ananias. He was the bridge between Saul and the disciples at Damascus. And then we get to see this guy named Barnabas, named Son of Encouragement. We've met him before, who serves as the bridge between Saul and the disciples at Jerusalem. Look at verse 27. It said, but Barnabas took him and brought him. That means Barnabas went and sought Saul out. He, like, went out of his way to go get Saul. He's like, Saul, oh my gosh, I can't believe what God's done in your life. Here is a guy. To, uh, Barnabas probably had close friends who had either died at Saul's hands or were still in prison because of Saul. And Barnabas seeks him out and says, I know you love Jesus. Come with me takes him by the arm, brings him into the inner fellowship. Look what he says. He declared to them on the road how he'd seen the Lord. Barnabas is sharing Saul's testimony with the other believers. 
He spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in his name of Jesus. Barnabas had street cred with the disciples, and they said, based upon what Barnabas is saying, Saul, you're welcome. And I love what R.C. Sproul does with this. He writes these words. I love this. There is an urgent need for modern Ananiases and Barnabas, Barnabases who overcome their scruples and their hesitation and take the initiative to befriend newcomers. Isn't that good? To say, wow, you want to be here? Welcome. Come on in. I want to introduce you to every single person that I know. Here's this book. You're a part of the family. You're welcome in. I think that is so the heart of, of Barnabas, and we'll meet Barnabas multiple times uh, through the book of Acts. And so in verse 28, he enjoyed the fellowship. He went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine turning around, and this is the guy who a few months or a couple years earlier was, was tearing down the church, is now preaching Jesus. And that tells me that Saul was willing to leave everything behind. He's preaching where he had once been trained in Judaism as a Pharisee. And that means he walked away from all of his friends. He walked away from his degrees. He walked away from his place in society. He left it all behind for the sake of Christ. That tells me he considered the cost and he felt it was worth paying. And he preached Jesus. And then he went to work with a group called the Hellenists. In fact, it was the same group that had put Stephen, the first martyr of the church, to death. And we see that in verse 29. It says, and when he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, that was the enculturated Greek Jews, they were seeking to do what? It's a second group of people. Do you guys see that Saul just went from being the persecutor to being the persecuted? Why? Because of Jesus. And some of us, you know, that we don't like this reality, the fact that you carry Jesus puts a bullseye on you. People don't want to hear the message, they attack the messenger. And so they seek to kill him, verse 30, and when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. I love this. The brothers, that now they're a family, and they take this guy who is once a persecutor, now persecuted, and he's, they take him down to the sea, and they're like, Saul, we love you, but you got to go home. <laughs> You're causing a ruckus in, in Jerusalem. And so they put him on a boat, and he heads north to his, his home. And we don't know, but who do you think he ran into in his home city? probably his mom and dad family we have no idea there's no record of this how many of you find it harder to share the jesus with your family than with anybody else family's tough right family's tough and so he goes home and i imagine he's like mom and dad you, you won't you can't guess all that education you sent me and you paid for for me to be this like pharisee ah, it's gone <laughs> i'm a jesus follower can you imagine they were stoked brothers and sisters, and they probably had about as much as of Saul that they could have in a few months he was there before chapter 11. Barnabas goes and gets him from Tarsus, and we'll, we'll see that. But I, what I want you to see from this chapter is Saul was the least likely. It is one of the most significant salvation stories that we find anywhere in the scriptures. And I hope that it encourages you in your own faith. Bruce and I had a conversation. Bruce, we were talking, we're both least likelies. Doug, where are you at? Dougie Fresh, we're least likelies, right? And I, I rejoice in this passage because I'm like, wow. Jesus who intervened, who, who divinely intervened in Saul's life, divinely intervened in Doug's life and Bruce's life and my life and y'all's life. And we're like, wow. Now let's not lose sight that he can and will save any person he chooses to save. And that's the least likelies in our life. And so I want you to hold on to that. And just quickly, I want to show you a picture of what happened. 
to the early church. Here's another progress report, and these are kind of cool to see as we go through the book of Acts. It lets us know how the early church was doing, and I think can also inform what we're doing here. So don't, don't tune out for this. Look at verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Why is that significant, class? Do you all remember in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So what does this tell us? It's happening. We should look at that and go, yay, early church! And, and they had peace and was being built up. Why do you think they had peace at this time? Probably because their great persecutor just got saved, right? So there's like a legitimate level of continuity and peace, and the church is being built up. I love that the description of the church is, it's not one church. That's speaking of churches. That's plural, but it's one body. So often we get focused on the one church we go to. And we're like, God's sure at work in my church, and not realizing that God's at work in his church, his body. And there are bodies of believers all over the world. There's all over this community God is at work. And, and our prayer should be that the local churches, the local bodies should be built up, not just here. And it goes on to say, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they did what? Guess what healthy things do? They die. Right? No, healthy things grow and they multiply. You know, family, as we walk in the fear of the Lord, and we should be in fear of God, in a sense of, of humble respect of God, and walking in the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to happen to this body of believers? We're going we're to multiply. We're going to grow because we're carrying out our commission. But our heart should not be, God, grow fire will to the detriment of every other church, which I feel like is sometimes the, the undertaking of most local churches. Like, come to our church. We're not like that church because that church, they wear weird clothes. We wear normal clothes or we play normal music. You ever seen those ads where we're like competing against each other as churches for people? That should not be the heart. Our desire should be that all churches are built up because it's Christ's body. And so pray that God would build up and multiply the local churches. Amen? Okay. Uh, a few applications for you. Uh, before you make your way off to whatever. Where are you guys eating today? I'm just okay. And you going to Luby's? <laughs> uh, first, flip the script. I don't know why Luby's gets such a bad rap. I'm sure it's good. Okay, so flip the script. We are so conditioned and prone to look at people as they are and not who they can be in, a, in view of Christ. Okay, we look at people, we're like, there's no way God could use that person. And then sometimes we look in the mirror and we think the same thing. And maybe you're handicapped in your Christian walk because of all the things that you did in the past. And you're like, there's no way God can use me now. I'm like, if there's an example of a guy who had a lot of skeletons in his closet, it's Saul. God flipped his script and God powerfully used him. God can powerfully use you. And God can powerfully utilize, use the least likelies in your life. And so I want to encourage you to do a couple things. I want you to start building relationships with lost people. Just to build relationships. Well, let me say this first. If you don't love people, are you all listening? If you are, say yeah. If you do not love people, keep Jesus to yourself. You all hear me? Because people know it. Like, if you're just trying to convert people, don't talk about Jesus. Talk about the weather, talk about the cowboys, hopefully they win today. Even with Zeke on the bench, I mean, get, you get what I'm saying here? Talk about anything else, but don't talk about Jesus because you are negating the truth of Jesus by your lifestyle. Your words may be that Jesus loves you, but if I don't love you, 
then my life is inconsistent with my message. And so I want to encourage you just to build relationships. Let's start there, like build friendships. I work out at the rec center specifically for the right to build relationships with people who are not believers. I love working out there because it's the people. And I have all kinds of friends and people, Tyler and I, we go in there, we lift weights, and we talk to these guys. And you know what I don't do? I don't walk up and go, hey, you know you're going to hell. Can you spot me? (laughs) Five, six. Did you know that if you don't accept Jesus Christ in your life right now and you were to die right now, you know where you go? You know, pagan. You know, I don't, you know, we build relationships and friendships. And you know what's incredible? It takes time. And as long as we're here, God's given us time. So take the time. I'm going to read a quote to you. I love this quote. Because there's many souls of Tarsus in this world today. It takes a guy like John Stott. Ah, I love John Stott. Anyway, like him, they are richly endowed with natural gifts of intellect and character, men and women of personality, energy, initiative. You see how he's not speaking derogatorily of an unsaved person? Sometimes we talk about unsaved people like they're less human. And listen to what he says. No, they've got personality and energy and initiative and drive, having the courage of their non-Christian convictions. Utterly sincere, but sincerely mistaken. And they're not beyond sovereign grace. And they should not be on the stretch of our relationships. We should be building relationships. We need more faith. We need more holy expectation, which will lead us to pray for them more and more. As we may be sure, the early church prayed for Saul. You better believe they were praying for Saul, because they were like, God, if you get a hold of this guy, he could be powerfully used. And we need to have that type of same heart for unsafe people in our sphere of influence. Second application, and then third, and then we'll be going to Luby's. Be a Barnabas. Be an encourager. Be a welcomer. Listen to this. Don't let that little note about Barnabas or Ananias pass you by. If it were not for them, Saul would not have been welcomed into the disciples. That would have been devastating to his own trajectory of his life. He'd always been an outsider from then on out. But that would have been devastating for church history. You might be welcoming in the next great preacher or the next great evangelist or the next great missionary. Did you think of that? Or the next, next great family that's going to build their life on Christ. When you welcome somebody in, I quote here again from John Stott. Thank God for, for Ananias who introduced Saul to the fellowship at Damascus and Barnabas who did the same thing later in Jerusalem. But for them... And the welcome they secured for him, the whole course of church history might have been different. Wow, the majority of the New Testament penned by this tyrant. Be a welcomer, be an Ananias, be a a Barnabas. And then finally, growing and sharing, they go together. As you all walk down the hallway, I hope that you take time to look at our roadmap of how you connect and how you grow here at Firewall. Don't just Don't just think, oh, it's wall art and just keep moving. No, read it. See it. See the progression of growth in your spiritual life. As you grow along that map, as you grow in your spiritual life, guess what you're going to start doing more and more? You're going to start talking about Jesus. It's going to become more natural. It's going to be a part of your life because as you grow spiritually, a natural byproduct is talking about Christ because as the abundance of your heart fills with Christ, your mouth speaks his name. And so I want to encourage you to look at that wall art as you come in and recognize that this, that's a map that you can, you can hop on. And that hand is a part of your growth, your spiritual life. And as we grow, let's share Jesus with the world because they need Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and our, our privilege of, of worshiping you and, and praying and, and reading your scriptures. And uh, Lord, as I, I think that through, I think of the people in Sutherland who are trying to do the same thing. 
and uh, just devastating, devastating picture of man's wickedness and sin in this world and the fallenness of humanity. We pray for the pastor at First Baptist Sutherland Springs and his wife as they are mourning the loss of their, their little girl and all oh, those wonderful people. We pray for that community, that God, that you pr- protect them as they mourn and as just the, the media is just trying to get more and more sound bites. I just pray that they would be able to mourn the loss of their family and friends. Jesus, you're the great shepherd in the shadow of, of the, the valley of death. Please be with them. Be with us too, Lord, as we, we desire protection at all costs and we desire to be safe, but you've never told us that we're safe, but you said that you'll be with us. And so give us wisdom as a ministry and as a church. Let us be loving to our community. Let's be loving to lost people. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and somehow God's speaking to you this morning in, the heart, in your heart and you feel like you want to give your life to him, in the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried. And I believe like your scriptures say, Jesus, you rose from the dead. Father, I believe you love me and you sent your son for me. Please save my life. And if that is your heart's prayer, the Bible declares that you've passed from death to life. The Holy Spirit has come into your life. You are now a son or daughter of God. Welcome to the family. May we have that heart, Lord Jesus. Humble, needy, dependent. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Y'all did great. Y'all want to stretch? Be careful. You want to pull something. What a wonderful day. Wouldn't it be great if we just did this every day? Just got together and worshiped all the time? Golly. That's what heaven's going to be like 24 hours a day. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, you are loved. Now go tell the world. Go proclaim to the world. Go demonstrate to the world that they are too. Have a great week.